The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not uh, know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Then skipping down to chapter 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for your uh, holy word, and uh, we thank you that you've called us out of darkness into your church, into your kingdom. And Lord, we long to be a part of your kingdom building, and a part of that is the institution of the church. And as we think about the leadership of our church, we pray for health and uh, spiritual health, and that we would be devoted to the truth, and that we would be marked by the love of Christ. And and so much of this comes from our leaders. And so we, we pray that you would give us uh, leaders uh, who um, reflect to us the, the character of Christ. And so uh, teach us now from your word, by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we, the reason we're looking at First uh, Timothy 3 is not only are we having a, a deacon election tonight, but also today we are beginning a new round of... Uh, nominations, uh, officer nominations for elders and deacons. Where, if you don't know that we're a Presbyterian church, that means we have two offices that have ordained offices in our church, uh, elders and deacons. And as we get into the sermon, I'm going to explain the difference between uh, elders and deacons. But I want to uh, begin by uh, briefly explaining the process. How does someone become an elder or a deacon? In our church. It's kind of extensive, so bear with me for a minute. So first of all, today we're going to start a 30-day process. We'll, we'll be receiving names from you for qualified candidates for the offices of elders and deacons. And you might say, well, how do I know what a qualified candidate is? Well, that's why we're looking at 1 Timothy 3. It gives us a list of the qualifications. It's one of the most important things we do as a church is that when the Bible gives us qualifications for our leaders, that we heed those qualifications carefully. And one of the things that we're going to do as a church is say that in order for someone to be nominated to be an elder or deacon, they need two people 
from separate households to nominate them. So that means it's really important that all of us, if you're a member of Christ Church, to be praying about this process, thinking through it, filling out the form. These are people that I believe that God is calling, put their names forward. And it's better if we hear like, wow, you know, a lot of people nominated this person. That really says a lot about God's calling to them. And so after the nominations come in, those who have been nominated will go through a process of self Sorry, I got something in my throat. A process of a self-vetting. So they'll read over these qualifications and they'll ask the Holy Spirit, are you calling me to this office? Am I qualified for this? And they should ask themselves first, does God say that I'm qualified for that? And if they do, they feel like, yeah, I'm, I, God is calling me. Then the, the first part of training is that we have a number of classes that uh, the candidates would take where it, on theology and about the vision of Christ's church and uh, and about what it means to serve as an elder or a deacon. And, uh, and then we have a second layer of vetting where the uh, two elders will meet with the candidate and talk to them about their sense of call. And then when they move past that next phase of vetting, they'll, for eight months, come and serve with the elders and deacons alongside them. And during that time, they'll be doing readings. And at the end of that time, they have an examination on on their theology and on, on the Bible and on probity into their life and their character. And uh, at the end of that time, then the session will return to the congregation and say, here's a list of qualified and trained um, uh, candidates. And so the congregation both nominates people, but then the congregation also elects the people that are the leaders of the church. Now, that's an important thing for you to know. That our, I don't pick the leaders of our church. The elders don't pick the leaders of the church. You as a congregation pick the leaders of our church. And so uh, that's a long process. It takes about a year. JP is at the end of his year. He's gone through that whole process, and now he's up for election uh, tonight. And you might say, wow, there's a lot of steps. Why all those layers and uh, the reason is your elders and deacons deeply affect the health of our church. Your leaders really impact. Churches, I mean, just think about how big church is a part of your life. It impacts your life profoundly, and your leaders are going to impact your life and the lives of those who are come here. And these offices, you know, are perpetual offices. So, you know, just like when I'm called to be a pastor, I plan to spend my whole life as a pastor. So when someone's called to be an elder or deacon, you know, they, they, we don't know that they'll spend their whole life doing that, but they're called to it. We hope that they have many years of being an elder or deacon so they can gain wisdom and we can, you know, build on that wisdom as a church. And I have to say that I've been so grateful for the service of our elders and deacons throughout the years, the just hundreds of hours of honest toil that they've given to this community to, to make sure that we have a spiritually healthy church for those the Lord brings here. And so today we're beginning that year-long process. Now one thing I want to mention is that our church follows the biblical model that only men are ordained to these offices of elder and deacon. And we do have appoint women to serve alongside the deacons, and I'll talk about that later in the sermon. But I, I recognize that many people in our culture, and that maybe some of you would really object to that. Why don't we let women serve in these roles of, of elder and deacon? And I don't have a lot of time to give to it, but let me just say two points about it. The first is, that when you look through the Bible, all the elders of the Old Testament, centuries in the history of Israel, all the elders of the Old Testament, 
And then you have all the 12 disciples that Jesus appointed to lead the church that he was building. And then you have all the churches that the Apostle Paul planted throughout the Mediterranean in the book of Acts. And then, and then you come to a passage like this where all the elders and deacons here, they were all men. And whenever the Bible has a repeated pattern like that, it repeats something over and over again, it's God setting up a normative pattern for his church that spans centuries, spans cultures, and it's true in their time, it's true in our time. And so it's important for us to follow the wisdom that God gives to us and to obey his word. And so even if this is an unpopular view in our culture, we think it's important to trust God's word. Now what we have found is that it's actually a real blessing when the men of our church take their faith seriously and they take seriously the responsibility to lead the church and their families. And, you know, historically, this is throughout the history of the church, women tend to be much more spiritually minded than men. You know, women pray more and they often study their Bibles more. They know their Bibles better. They serve in the church more and they sacrificially give. And, you know, oftentimes they're smarter and more gifted. And you might say, well, why don't we have them serving in these roles if they're, they're so gifted? Well, uh, God has called men to take responsibility for the protection and oversight in the home and the church and it's important that we don't let the men of our church abdicate the responsibility that they've been called to. And I think it's a blessing to women to have the men in their lives spiritually get engaged and leading. It's a blessing. And I've had many women in our church say that. It's a blessing to have the men uh, engaged. So that's the first thing we want to say about this, a biblical pattern. There's a, a second side to this, though, is that the Bible has quite a lot to say about how essential the women of the church are to the ministry. And the Apostle Paul talks about how he labored side by side with the women. In much of the ministry that he was doing, he lists a bunch of the women that he worked with in his letters. And, uh, and so as a church, we are continually trying to make sure that every area of our ministry and leadership is a joint labor of the men and women in our congregation. And just because women cannot be ordained to church offices in our church, it does not mean that they can't have real ownership over certain areas of the ministry and exercise real leadership in important areas of our ministry. So is, there's a tension. It's a tension that you see in the Bible. It's a tension that we, we try to, to mirror in our church community. And so there, I have more teaching on this topic. In the video for this uh, sermon, we'll put some links to other sermons where I've talked about women in ministry. We also have some position papers about it by our church leadership that you can read if you're interested. So we are beginning, though, a nomination process what things should you as a congregation be taking into consideration? And I want to point out three things from this passage. is the calling of officers, the character of officers, and the ministry of our officers. Three things that we, as we're doing nominations, these are three things that we should think about. The calling of an officer, the character of an officer, and the ministry of an officer. And they're really important insights from 1 Timothy 3. So... Three things. Long introduction. I know a lot of details in there. The calling of an officer. How does someone know that God is calling them to serve in the role of an elder or deacon? And uh, in this passage, we see that it's important for someone to both have an inner call and an external confirmation of that call. And what I mean by that is we've all known someone who 
you know, was telling us, God, I feel deeply in my heart that God is calling me to do this thing. And you're sitting there thinking, I don't think God is calling you to do that thing. And, uh, and because they have an inner desire, but they don't have an external confirmation of that inner desire. And so both are actually important. So first, what's the inner call? Verse 1 says, The saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. You see that it's someone aspires to this. If they desire it, aspiration and desire come from within. It's important that someone has a desire to serve God because serving as an officer is a lot of work. And I think it ultimately it comes down to just a love for the church. I love the church. I love the kingdom. I love the work of the gospel. I love people's lives being transformed. And this, you know, it's basically someone saying, I want the church to be my third thing. So, you know, you think about what you devote, the finite amount of time, time that you have. What are you going to devote it to? Well, a big chunk of time goes to work. you got to do your work. And then if you have a family, you're going to have to devote a fair amount of time to care for your family. What's the third thing that gets your time? Well, you know, it's usually your hobby. What's, you know, I love mountain biking or I love, you know, playing music or whatever it is. For a church officer, your hobby is the church. It's your third thing. It's where your time goes. I mean, because this is the thing that you're passionate about. And so there's a deep desire to use your gifts to serve the body of Christ in the community that God is forming here in the church. But it's not enough to simply have that desire. That desire needs to be confirmed by an external confirmation. And so what's the external confirmation? Well, you'll notice that immediately after the inner call in this passage... The first qualification says in verse 2, Therefore an overseer must be above reproach. And actually the same Greek word for above reproach is in verse 10 about the deacons as well. See what it says? And let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So elders and deacons should be above reproach and blameless. And you might hear that as sinless. I they're not sinless. The elders and deacons are all sinners. All our pastors are sinners, just like all of us. There aren't any perfect people to put into the office. So Jesus is the only perfect person. What this is talking about, it's really talking about a person's public reputation. They should be well-respected both inside and outside the church. And if someone desires to be an officer, but the people around them say, I'm not seeing it, then that person is not called by God to be an officer. And, you know, by the way, what this means, if any of you are nominated to be an officer, what you are inviting is you're inviting the community around you to judge you, which I know is a vulnerable thing. Like, usually the Bible says don't judge one another. And so we don't, like, name all of each other's flaws that we see in one another. We try to just, you know, it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense where love covers a multitude of sins. But if you want to be an officer, we got to start talking about those things. We need to be judged. We're welcoming that judgment. And we have to be honest with each other. And sometimes that means the church saying hard things, that this is not the right time, or you need to grow in these areas. And by entering the process, you are embracing that God's calling is not an individual process, but it comes through the community. God calls us through the community that's around us. Okay? So first, the call, what's the calling of an officer? It's an internal call and an external confirmation of the internal call. But when we start judging one another, what's the criteria that we're using to judge each other? Well, that's our second point, is the character of an officer. 
And this passage definitely majors on character is the most important thing for an officer. It's not that how many theology books someone's read or, you know, or what skills and abilities that they have. Character is the most important thing. And, and I'm not going to go word for word through all the, this whole list of character qualifications, but I'll make a few comments. If you look at verse 2, Therefore, an overseer, which, by the way, an overseer is, in the New Testament is interchangeable for elder. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And the emphasis overwhelmingly in that list is on character. And the Apostle Peter has another place where he talks about elders in 1 Peter 5. And I think this is the charge that he gives the elders. I think it's really good. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, not domineering over those in your charge. But I think this is a good summary. But being examples to the flock. Being examples of So the elders, the leaders that you want are not domineering. They're not harsh. They're not, you know, bossing people around. And yet they're examples of a life that's been transformed by Jesus. They've received the grace of Jesus and the love and mercy of Jesus marks their life now. They are an embodiment of what we want our community to be. So you say, if you multiplied this person 200 times, it'd be great. That's the kind of community that I want. Is there an example of what the community should be? If someone does not meet those qualifications, do not nominate them. Let me say a few words about the character qualities of deacons as well. Verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So not double-tongued. Double-tongued means that you're kind of two different people. You know, you believe one thing on the inside, you say something else, or you're different with two different kinds of people. It's kind of hypocritical. So deacons should be sincere and genuine people. They're not addicted to much wine. They're helping other people with their addictions, so they should have their own addictions under control. Uh, Not greedy for dishonest gain. Deacons are handling the resources of the church, so they should be trustworthy people. And I should point out that both of the lists for the elders and deacons Uh, tell the church to look at a man's family in considering them for office. Look at their marriage. Look at their relationship to their children. And I recognize that, too, is a sensitive topic. Being a parent is hard. I know, like, the biggest failures I feel in my life are in being a parent. So it's not perfect parenting. But the home is where a, a person, the real person comes out, the real character of someone comes out. And so if someone can come to church and seem very pious and very religious, but what is their religion like at home? Is it harsh? Is it miserable? Or is the Christian life a happy thing? Do their children say, I love that I'm a Christian. Like, where would we be without Jesus? Like, it's a joy. Or is it something that makes life miserable, their religious life makes life miserable? And I think, you know, if you're nominated and you say, gosh, I really have a desire to serve the church, but I'm not sure my family's in order, this is a mercy to not have to worry about all these people and to say, the Lord has me calling to focus on my family and to love them. And, and that's okay. It's good to say this. Now's the time for me to focus on my family. One other point from these qualifications, verse 10. And let them also be tested first 
Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. So you notice they should be tested in the work. They should be doing the work of an elder or deacon before they become an elder or deacon. And that's one thing that we don't want to do either is say, you know, this person, I bet if they were just given the opportunity and we put them in the office, then they'd really start flourishing. No, we don't do that. They need to basically be shepherding like an elder, caring for people, serving as a deacon, and then we just put the office on the work that's already being done. That's how we operate. And so that raises the question then, well, what is the work of elders and deacons? And that leads to our, uh, our last point. So we've talked about the calling. It's the inner desire. Oh, hey, look at this guy. <laughs> Thank you. Elder right there, you know. Taking care of it. All right, good. I eat something before the fourth service because it's the fourth one and it gets stuck in my throat. So, um, All right. So we've looked at the calling. It's the inner desire that's matched with the external confirmation. We've talked about the character, not domineering, loving, gentle, gracious, an example, and a gracious life that blesses a family. But the third thing is the ministry of an officer. And the ministries of elder and deacon are derived from the ministry of the Lord Jesus himself. When Jesus came to do his ministry, it was a ministry of word and deed. So Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom and teaching people, and then he would heal people, and the broken would come to him, and he would care for them. And so the ministry of word and deed, Jesus then passed down to his disciples. So the apostles then had a ministry of word and deed, but in the book of Acts, that ministry of word and deed became too much for them, so it's split in Acts chapter 6 into the elders and the deacons. And they said, well, we'll do the ministry, you know, commit ourselves to the word and to prayer. And then the deacons will care for the poor and do the serving and ministry. And then the elders also split later. And you, that's why I included chapter 5, verse 17. You'll notice there it says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So you have some elders who rule and some who labor in preaching and teaching. And that's why in our church, Jonathan and I, we are teaching elders. We labor in preaching and teaching. And then we have ruling elders that come from the congregation who, uh, who rule well among us. And so the elders and deacons both derive their ministry through the apostolate to the Lord Jesus himself. And so let me say a few words about the ministries of elders and deacons. So first, what is the ministry of an elder? Well, verse, verses 4 and 5 say he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So the two verbs there are managing and caring. And the word manage doesn't primarily mean to run the church. You know, we have a, a staff that largely runs the church. The Greek word translated manage is, is the word for a ruling elder. It's the word that's used for ruling there. And uh, the, the two main meanings of it are to go before and to protect. To go before and to protect. So the elders go before. They're an example of a Christian life. But then they also protect means to guard the peace and purity of the church. And so what that means is confronting false teaching. So make sure the teaching is biblical and, and, you know, has good theology in our church. They guard the teaching. That's why it says that elders need to be able to teach. It doesn't mean necessarily that they're good public speakers. It means that they understand the doctrine. 
They're able to communicate it to other people and to defend the church against false doctrine. That's primarily what that means. It also means doing church discipline. You know, when someone says they're a believer and their life is wandering off and they're getting into some bad sin and someone needs to go sit and talk to them and confront them about it, it's the elders who do that. It's the shepherding. They go after chasing after the sheep that are wandering off. And it's such an important work for us to be a healthy church. Um, But the protecting is paired with the word for caring. Verse 5, how will he care for God's church? And that word for caring only appears in one other place in the New Testament. It's in the story of the Good Samaritan. It's what the Good Samaritan did who came upon a wounded and abused foreigner and cared for him with love and gentleness. And so an elder should be this strange combination of the person who is willing to confront falsehood and immorality, but who you would trust to be the, uh, gentle with your deepest wounds. Willing to protect and be gentle. This is a great picture of an elder. What about the ministry of a deacon? Well, our book of church order says about deacons, the office is one of sympathy and service after the example of the Lord Jesus. And the word deacon, it means to be a servant. Actually, all Christians are called deacons, called deacons in the New Testament. So the deacons are really a model to all of us about you know, serving the Lord. And the, the office of a deacon was first formed in caring for the poor widows in Jerusalem in the early church. So there's seven deacons that were appointed to oversee that work. And so in our church, the deacons oversee the deeds of love component of our ministry. And so they work with people who are in financial trouble or have emotional, psychological problems. They oversee our outreach to the Birchwood neighborhood and our support for missionaries. They do benevolence. And and they also care for our physical grounds, oversee the physical grounds of our church. And so this is just such crucial work in our church. And we are in much need of deacons. So please be praying about who you're going to nominate. And uh, also, during this nomination period, we're going to be receiving recommendations for diaconal assistants who work with the deacons. And these are men and women who are not don't aren't have an ordained office but they they help the deacons with their work and so when you get the form for nominations to say you have a you can nominate elders you can nominate deacons you can also recommend to the session names of men and women who uh, could serve as diaconal assistants and the reason why we particularly have women working with the deacons is because you notice that this passage mentions them in verse 11 It says their wives, the deacons' wives. Well, actually, literally in Greek, that just says the women. It doesn't say their wives. It says women. Likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So apparently, there were women that were working alongside the deacons in ways that they weren't necessarily working alongside the elders. And so the Lord Jesus has continued through the church his ministry of word and deed. And though all of us are a part of that ministry as the body of Christ, God's word has guided us to ordain officers that represent these two arms of Jesus' ministry. So please be praying during this time that God would call men to these offices and men and women to the role of diaconal assistant, that our church would do the work of the kingdom in a way that is pleasing to our king, the only one who enables us to do it. Let's pray together.